This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks here, as always, with Kara Sismadia from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. This is actually take two trying to start the show today, so hopefully all of you can see this on Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and all those different places, live on moderncampground.com as well, if there is any bugs with those social media channels. But super excited to be here for our open discussion show. We have this once a month with our recurring guests here. we got Randy and Scott and Mark and Sandy and different people i think the only person we're missing is ivor right casey's back with us too i forgot casey like he just randomly pops in here once every eight months or so now so glad to have casey back and i think we're just missing ivor from camping dreams so go back with him and figure out where he's been at but uh, lots of stuff has changed i feel like since we've all been together recently on the same show we've talked times about the economy and how that's changing and how investments changing but staying the same and how cap rates are different and all kinds of an amalgamation of things we were talking about before the show started. So I would just want to toss it to you guys here and see what you guys' thoughts are on how the season went, where it's going, what's changing from a camping consumer standpoint, filling parks, not filling parks, those kinds of things. And wherever you want to take the conversation from there, we'll have some fun and see where it goes. Who wants to start? I can maybe kick things off. Yeah. So from our end, we were chatting a little bit before, just in terms of this is winding down to the end of the season, right? For a lot of standard parks, Halloween marks maybe the last really busy weekend that they may have. And then a lot of parks shut down and go off grid for a while or whatnot. And so we were just talking about overall numbers for the year and, and what we saw. And from a reservation standpoint, and maybe even like truly like occupancy standpoint, we saw a little bit of a decrease, obviously, from 2021, mostly in like less midweek stays. But we saw an insane demand still on, on most weekend weekends at the, the demand went higher then. And really just how parks were able, a lot of parks were able to offset, even though having less reservations or maybe less occupancy than they had the previous year, having whether it's dynamic rates or just paying a little bit more attention to how busy they are on those specific weekends or holidays, doing like ancillary income, things of that sort. We're able to offset potentially what you consider a slower year, but from an actual revenue standpoint, we're able to set that and still have, in many cases, a positive year, even compared to like a crazy 2021 for most campgrounds, which was, which was really cool to see. It's really cool to see that parks are able to adjust to some extent, even if there's a little bit less demand in certain areas, take advantage where there's demand in others, we go from there. So yeah, it was, it's, it's, cool. it's an interesting and cool conversation to see parks still cutting out ahead, even though they might not have been as busy as they were the previous year. Scott, you were talking a little bit about that before the show. Do you want to kind of share your insights on that? Yeah, we're right there with Casey and kind of what they're hearing from CampSpot users yeah. as well. We certainly had higher aspirations for 2022 than what came to be from a gross revenue perspective. Our midweek occupancies revert to more in line with pre-pandemic midweek occupancies. RV occupancy at certain properties, especially those properties that were further away and longer travel distances, were down a bit. Lodging and tent site occupancy was up. But the name of the game for us were two things. ADRs were up significantly for the most majority of our managed properties. But 
with having fewer folks on site and through the adoption of more technology and systems and processes, we were able to make our staffing a bit more efficient. And so our net operating income was closer to what we would hope would be from a budget perspective that majority of properties that we manage. So NOI is really what matters, right? At the end of the day. And so we were, if we can make more with, with less people on site, I think we all are probably okay with that. But I think what we're looking at as we look to 2023, and it's been a hot topic on this conversation is really how do we substantiate and continue to sustain that the new folks coming into the market, the new campers, the new generations and offering them those experiences that they're hoping to see and the level of hospitality that they expect, especially those that continue to come in from different asset classes as well. So that challenge has been here for us through the pandemic. It still will be moving into the future. And so what we're hoping to do with our managed properties is to allocate some operating expenses towards more of the experience-driven amenities and activities, both self-led on-site, self-led off-site, hosted off-site, and really how we can give people additional reasons and more value in their stay to come stay with us through a recession as well. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And I know everybody else has some things they want to weigh in for, but before I do that, I can't obviously forget we're talking about ADR and budgets and all those kinds of numbers. And so I want to thank our sponsor for this show, Fireside Accounting, who's a regular, been a longtime supporter of us on this first episode for camp, campground discussions and open discussions and things like that. As we continue, I think we're probably going to have a lot of these conversations here moving forward, right? With ADR and budgeting and expenses and all the things you were just talking about, Scott, super important and critical to have somebody on your team by your side that knows all those numbers, that knows the industries and things like that. So if you're looking for that kind of expertise, then Fireside Accounting is probably a good place for you to start. Anybody else want to weigh in on what Scott had to say? I'll chime in on that one. Scott said it so well, and it's something that I know Scott and I have talked about, and most of us on this channel have talked about, is experiential hospitality versus traditional, like, outdoor hospitality. People are still spending. It's, and yes, the economy is not what it should be, but people are still spending for experiences, and that's the key thing. Not necessarily a place to stay, but a place to do. And I think Scott's right on track, and I think the folks in the industry that are keeping an eye to that are, are going to do just fine. It's not just about a place to stay. It's not just about rate. It's about what can they do when they get there. It's about selling the zip code. It's about pivoting with the local community businesses and whatnot. So it's a whole lot more than just where you go. I was really intrigued by a couple of things. One, when Scott said that RV was a little bit down, but cabins were way up. That doesn't surprise me at all. I was really surprised this morning when I saw that B's third quarter was up 46% over last year as a record-setting quarter on Airbnb. So who are those consumers? It's people renting short-term accommodations. It's more cottage-driven, not so much RV-driven. So the millennials and anybody really is spending experiential dollars, and it comes it's incumbent upon us in the industry to provide experiences for them and not just think rates, occupancy, rate, occupancy, and lowering rate or moving stuff around. It's about what can you do over and above what you're offering at the park to give them more to come there for. Again, to Scott's point. Absolutely, 100% agree. You guys are all being really quiet and not feeding off each other this morning. I'll just chime in and be my regular boring self. Mark, you're on the, the middle of a road there in Pennsylvania, yep. coming back from keynoting the Coney Conference. Yes, sir. Um, 
seen a lot yep, of RVs yep. on the road, but to Randy's point, there's more cars on the road that are probably all headed to short-term rentals on Airbnb. Go ahead. What else? What else? And I shared this in the keynote. And there's a different type of traveler now. It's a, a post-COVID traveler travels differently. And for example, on this trip, we've got a we've got a trailer behind our car, but we're also staying in Airbnb. So we're going Airbnb campground, Airbnb. And the reason I'm at a road stop is because the campgrounds in New York and Pennsylvania at least in the northern part of the state, are closed. They're shut down for the winter season. I would happily plug in to an electric hookup and stay here. In fact, it's going to be 70 degrees this weekend. The reality is the market's changing. And what's blowing me away is the volume of RVs that are on this highway heading south. We pulled in, and this is a, a truck stop style rest area, and there's six RVs parked right here. You've seen four or five pull out while we've been here. The reality is people are still traveling. And the crazy thing is, is in Pennsylvania, diesel is currently, I just saw it at $6.40 a gallon. So. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to adjust their spending somewhere, but they're still traveling. Life's short. Might as well enjoy it. Yep. It's definitely a fair assessment. So that was the Coney Conference where we're talking to you. Yeah, the Coney Conference was really cool. They did it at the convention center in Albany, right next to the Capitol. They had a Capitol tour. If you haven't been to Albany, it's an awesome downtown area. Really old buildings, really cool area. The conference itself, they had, I believe, um, Don may knock me over the head, but I think it was a little over 50 uh, vendors that were on the floor. Attendees, I think they had about 75 attendees. It was a good show from our perspective, really enjoyed meeting the owners. And what I'll share is it goes exactly to what Scott was saying. The owners I spoke to shared exactly what he said. So their number of nightly stays or overnight stays were down slightly, but their rates were up significantly. They did better. They actually all had a really good year. And my big question was gauging what they think next year is going to be, right? So I was asking. All of them. How is this year compared to next year? What do you think it's going to be like next year? And 201, each one of them said they expect next year to be better. They just need to be more aggressive in how they operate their parks. So controlling expenses, what Scott said. And then also, as I was sharing with them, for the first time in since 2012, RV parks and campgrounds are going to be forced to market themselves. They're going to have to advertise. They're going to have to reach these new campers and draw them into the park. So I think that's going to be the bigger shift on this end. The other thing that was interesting is being New York state, there's a lot of really, I think Scott, Randy, you guys talked to a lot of these folks. There's a lot of money chasing our industry now, a lot of really deep pockets that are looking to get into the space and they, their questions and their thoughts about the way they operate parks are entirely different. So obviously Scott's in the right place as a management firm to help these people get returns, but it's going to create, if things get bad economically, it's going to create issues where there's properties that start seeing deferred maintenance and stuff like that. So that's my only fear is that a large investment fund that's buying properties, not because they want to operate a hospitality business, but because they want to get a return on their investment, that they may shave that hospitality in exchange for the return. So I think as an industry, it's just a matter of keeping our eyes on that and, and seeing if we can help those people make money while also providing the experience campers Desire. I think some of that, and Randy, I definitely want to have you chime in on this because you're talking about cap rates and the different landscape of, there was a lot of, I don't know if I want to say more investment because I don't know if I'm an expert enough to say that, but it feels like there was a lot more interest maybe over the last two years, given the pandemic and driving campers and things like that. And there's still investment, but maybe it's a little bit more careful and thoughtful than it was. Yeah. The world has changed. I know I've said before that I thought the industry was going to change more in the next 36 months than it had the previous 20 years. And I'm going to live and die by that statement because the 
everything has changed. The investment sentiment has changed. Interest rates have changed. Society has changed. Travel habits have changed. The age of the consumer has changed. They're spending. Everything is different now. So from our end at the Intrepid Group on the brokerage front, what we're seeing is a, a number of things. One, the level of uh, operational expertise of the incoming owner is stratospherically higher than it was in years past. Institutional grade thinking, institutional grade investment money. Uh, two, the, the cap rate adjustment, yes, because cost of funds are higher. So they're expecting to pay a higher cap rate, meaning a lower price when they acquire a property. But the interesting thing I think that I'm seeing from a macro level is with the increased level of sophistication of the capitals, not just the money itself that's chasing the assets, it's the mentality behind that. And what I'm finding is that experience is 100% of what they're about. And Mark, if it helps allay any kind of fears, the folks that I talk to every day are all about, it's got to be completely buttoned up. It's got to be run like a Swiss watch. <laughs> but it's also got to be experience laden. And they're really focusing on the experiential element because a lot of them come from hotel background. Hotel is all about experiential hospitality. So they're translating that investment thesis, those criteria into this asset class. And that arguably elevates everybody by doing so. So I think, and I would ask Scott the same question. I think from what I'm seeing is increased level of operational expertise, increased focus on the experience element, and a higher level of sophistication that ultimately is great for the industry. And there's no slowdown in appetite, none whatsoever. Uh, whatever you read in the papers about interest rates scaring people off, if anything, it's made our investors more laser focused on acquiring the right things because a lot of the mid-level buyers are sitting it out right now, which is good for the big guys, less competition to go after the assets they want. And Randy, at the glamping show, first off, it was awesome to see Brian and Kara in person at the glamping show. but. That glamping show, uh, it was a real transition from the first year to the second year to the third year. Like we saw the dreamers yeah. show up, the people who were thinking about it. This year, it was serious players at the glamping show. It, walk, being on that floor, it was crazy. There, No joke, there were billionaires walking the floor who want to get into our industry. And that's real. Like the, those folks are in this industry now. There, there are folks that own massive food production companies looking to build glamping resorts. So there's serious interest from serious people in our industry, which is just a testament to what's been created by all the folks that are in the industry, right? We've created a, a, a valuable industry that people want to get into. And so it's very cool to see that. And just one more little thing that I promised to shut up, but I agree with you, Mark. And the Glabbing Summit this year was, it's been great in years past, absolutely phenomenal. A great meeting place. Ruben does a great job. David Kors does a great job. This year was head and shoulders above anything before with the level of expertise, the level of fluency in industry lingo and parlance and whatnot, and really being laser focused. I couldn't agree more with you, Mark. It was amazing. It was amazing. So I have a couple of things I'd like, I'm interested to touch on here. Number one is, and we'll talk about this maybe secondary, but Mark was talking about Mark, Mark saying you're going to probably need to do that for the first time. I think you said since 2012, and I think you're probably right in a lot of cases, a lot of smart parks have already been doing marketing and things like that, but I think a lot of people are going to need to do marketing for the first time in certain areas. And then I want to start maybe on experiential hospitality. Right? So we've had this buzzword. We talked about this on the show a couple of different times, Randy, and this is one of the things that you're playing in. You've got your LinkedIn group and stuff like that. And obviously. A lot more people are referencing the term than ever have before. I'm curious though, like we've talked about a lot of these larger investment groups and how they're going to get into these things and reshape and build parks and focus on this aspect. But how do I, and not I, cause I'm not brave enough to own a campground, but how do I, as the small mom and pop owner of a park, focus 2023 on 
I know I need to market, yes, and Mark certainly chime in on some of those things if you have tips and tricks and stuff like that. But how do I how do I market? But how do I market an experience? How do I create an experience where maybe I didn't have one before, or maybe I don't have the resources that a hotel or investment group does? I'm off the side of the road. How do I how do I sell the zip code if, to borrow a phrase that that you talk about frequently, Randy? Yeah, for anybody, for any operator, big, small, little, but in particular for the small, to your question, if somebody's going to go stay in Albany, for example, <clears throat> what they're probably going to do is Google things to do in Albany. So as an owner, shouldn't you do the same thing? Because if something shows up on that first level of Google results that says things to do in Albany, shouldn't I reach out to some of those vendors that show up in that search and say, hey, I own such and such campground down the street. Love to talk to you about your business and how you do your stuff and tell you a little bit about us. And let's just start a referral network amongst us and send each other business and help each other out. Now you're networking with the local community. Your name is getting out there. But also, if you can link to those proper, those things that show up on things to do in Albany and have that alliance on your website and build more traffic, it helps the website as well. But now when somebody comes to your park, no matter how big it is, you're more of a concierge as opposed to an innkeeper. You're a concierge by saying, by the way, please go visit these people. These folks want to say hi to you, say to, hi to Joe over there. So you can be a small campground and still play the game of experience like any of the big guys. It just takes a little bit of homework and look at it from third party, not from this is my park and here's the things I have to do today. Pull back and look at it as a consumer and say, if I was booking at my park, what would I see and what would make me want to go there and speak to it? I say, I was going to add on to that too, because that's a really good tip. And I've seen parks do that very successfully where they develop basically a list of the things to do. Another tip for local parks, expanding on that is, is look, just do a quick Google search for events in your area. So events in your city or whatever, if there's an event page, there's your park, go partner with whoever's running that event page. And that'll be your referral source to connect with all the people running events. If there is not an event page, create the event page. You be the event page. Add it to your website and allow people to post events going on in your area. All of a sudden, you're going to do two things. Number one, you're going to drive a, a ton of traffic into your website. And number two, you're going to become the source that people go to list their events, meaning they're going to refer people to you. So that's a little tip that people can do very easily without too much effort. It's something you're going to have to do on a consistent basis, but it's a, an actual tip that folks can do. One thing that we're doing right now, and it's been a big push on our end is, and it's a super simple thing, but we still have a seen there's about 2,100 parks that are active. And we, I think we ran the numbers and I want to say there's maybe 340, 360 parks that still have it. I don't know if that represents the overall industry, but just still haven't put in rates for 2023. And so we fully expect in Q4, anywhere from 300 to 500,000 reservations to happen in Q4 for primarily for next season. And so even subtle things like that, just getting rates out, getting that stuff together, thinking through some of your rules, thinking through some of the things, the changes that you learn from this year and having those rates live and active as soon as possible. I and mean, we're pushing as many parks to do it now, get those rates there, open up that availability. Traditionally, a lot of campgrounds maybe wait to the beginning of the year. Or they've done a let some of the current people like get their reservations in via phone or things of that sort. And there's just a significant amount of reservations. Obviously, there's more that happens in Q2 and things of that sort. There's a significant amount of reservations that happen in Q4 for 2023. So just simply having rates available for people to book that far out is something that we're pushing a lot of our campgrounds to do right now. 
I'd layer on a, a few things to what's already been said, but to Mark's partnering and finding who hosts a lot of events locally is a great resource because the more that you can develop that network to more referrals that they'll share, but more importantly too, or just as importantly, is the ability for the local guides in your area, the local experts who may do those, those hiking, hiking guides or kayaking guides or culinary experts that we do walking, food tasting, and that sort of thing through the downtown area. Those people that are hosting events and those people that are involved in the local chamber, who those inside people are, and you partner with them to have them provide those services directly to, to your property as well. There's a service out there that's made a lot of buzz this week with some fundraising that they've done called Way, W-A-Y, and I highly recommend that you check them out. Way.co is their website. They have the ability to partner, essentially, the local guides and hosts, as they call them, with on-brand experiences that you can help to, to set up for your properties and say what you think is on-brand for your property from an experience that's probably outdoor-related, maybe tied to the top attractions in the area. There's a cost for the service. It's not inexpensive, but I think their lowest price tier starts $750 a month. But if you really think about how the industry is continuing to trend and really fully leaning into being the concierge, but in a more meaningful way, tapping them into the inside track, the more authentic experiences than just visiting the top 10 attractions. This is an investment in my mind that is well worth it. So that's something to check out if you're, even if you're a small, small operator. The other piece- We're, look, we're looking at it, gonna, I'm sharing the, okay, the word right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The, other, the other piece that I just layer on to, to what Mark said as well is, Simple thing that you could do if you don't go that route, or even if you do, is to find that local event calendar and create Facebook events as well through your own through your own Facebook page. Create events for or tie back to those events that are already being put on as well, so that you can help to show your followers directly as well the things that that they can do and see some more of those details as well. So I think for me, and this is just my opinion, of course, right? And I'm not as deep in experiential hospitality, certainly as Randy has, maybe even Scott has, or all of you, right? For that matter, I've got a lot of things on my plate and so do you guys, but I think you probably focus on it more than I do. But for me, I think experiential hospitality, dumbing it down is just setting yourself apart. And as we move forward, there are probably thousands of different things that we could come up with on this call. And the ideas that we've come across so far are excellent, but I think it's just setting yourself apart and that is going to create experiences. And so that could be something like being the concierge. It could be something like having the best fresh baked cookies that people talk about for miles around. You're going to go to that campground. You're going to get fresh cookies like Double Tree Dust. It could be anything. It could be the unique bike rentals you have. It could be the, the lake property that has the best fishing. It's just creating those experiences, but ways to set yourself apart and then marketing those ways like Mark was talking about in 2023. Because I think that Nobody really knows where this economy is heading. And I think people will always still continue to camp regardless of where it heads, but maybe the number of campers might be a little bit smaller. And this is where I think Mark is talking about having to market your park, because if you do it well, and if you are providing these unique experiences, no matter how small they are from cookies to renovations, then I think that's, what's going to really set you up for a nice successful year in 2023. Is that fair to say, gentlemen? And so. 
Yeah, we called, we released a, a camping guy and they did a good job with us, talked with a bunch of different park owners. And there was a common theme from a lot of them, which was having what we called like having a North Star, right? Like what it is that your campground's focused on and understanding it, knowing it, and then and executing on it. And so just to exactly what you were talking about as far as whether it's the fishing, whether it's the hospitality, whether it's the trees, it's the shade, whether it's the convenience, whether it's the price, whatever that is, whatever your kind of North Star is, you know, playing on, you said the amount of people potentially going down. I think a little bit about, I know a lot of people have started to go back to work, obviously compared to previous years, but I still think in 2023, there's going to be this itch to get out of your house still. I'm doing a cross between working at home still and going into the office. And so you, you do that for enough time. You, like you need to get out. You need to leave your home. There's the convenience of it right away. And so I still think there's going to be plenty of people that are looking to get out of their home. And this plays perfectly into what you guys are talking about is marketing, right? How do I understand? I want to get out of my home. I want to do something different, right? We're looking for experiences. For a lot of people, there's still a lot of people that haven't had that really cool, unique camping experience. There's tons of them. There's a tons of them that, that have had it in the last year and a half. We've gained an insane amount of, of people, but there's also a ton of people that still haven't done that. And so I still think it's ripe for the taking in terms of using marketing, using what your park has, using the amenities, using whatever's unique, whatever you guys bring to the table, focusing on it and letting as many people in that area know about it. I think, yeah, I totally agree with Casey. I think it's often a hurdle sometimes for certainly the smaller park operators to, I know in my case, it, it was so important to me as a campground operator to partner with local businesses and cultivate that experiential service. But I was so busy day to day in my busy season. I had to schedule in time to go and check out what's around me. I had even just to know there's this epic hiking trail or the new cider company or whatever, I, in order to stay on top of what I could offer and what there was around me, I had to schedule that in and prioritize it and make sure I stayed aware of those things. And that's a hurdle, right? It's another thing on the to-do list in this busy season, which is tough. Something else about that, Kara, <clears throat> I completely agree with you. When you're in the trenches and you're running that thing every day, you're watching this, you're watching that, you're watching that. But isn't it funny when you, when I care as the operators say, I'm going to go to Albany this weekend, you're going to say things to do in Albany. You're going to dig deeper. You're going to find a coffee shop. You're going to find a pub. You're going to find whatever like that. And so you're going to, you're going to be an expert about things to do when you get there. So in your mind, you start planning what's going to happen when I'm on the road. What was my decision process? What do I hope to get out of this experience? What do I hope to find when I get there type of thing? But then we, when, as business operators, we don't put that mirror back on ourselves and say, if I was looking for me, what would I find if I looked for me? And sometimes we start Googling your own property. You start realizing I don't exist and I'm not telling the story and they don't know who I am and I'm not telling it well. How do I get it out there? It's a really interesting thing to try to move yourself to objectivity or find somebody who can do it object objectively for you and help well, you craft. Well, this is the experience you should be talking about. Let's make this happen. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 One of the things I can't believe I finally got to talk. <laughs> I raise my hand like, I agree so much with everything that everybody's saying. But one of the things that I always remind people of is, first of all, we've seen a lot of acquisitions of parks by big companies, but we still have over 50% of the parks that are owned by an owner that has less than one or three parks. And there is also a significant number of those who are still not using online technology. 
it blows me away how I am still trying to make a reservation with somebody who is using a tool like Campground Manager or Campground Master. They're not even using an online reservation software. And so they're leaving so much on the table. So I think going into 2023, there's three things I talk to my parks about. They all start with a T, so it's kind of like a good sermon, but that's technology. They got to make sure they have technology that works for them, then gives them some of these answers because your technology should tell you what your ADR is. It should tell you what your pickup is. It should tell you all the different things you need to know at the touch of a button so that you don't have to export to Excel and figure all that out. Parks don't have time to figure that out. We need to help them with our technology. The second thing is targeting, which I like to use targeting rather than marketing because Marketing is like the shotgun and targeting is like the rifle. Figure out who you want to come to your park or who your park appeals to because not everybody likes to camp the same way. And when you fine tune that targeting, you're more likely to be able to get those people to come to your park. And I know a lot of people, they like state parks or just a basic park where they can go. They don't need a lot of amenities. And then I have people that they're looking for a free-free park, which is one of my sons. If it's not a free-free park, he doesn't want to go there. So he wants all the amenities, the restaurant, everything. But so you want to target. And then the last one I think is really important going into 2023 is territory. I think every area has a different territory that they need to market to in 2023. And it really depends on where you are. So you can't just say market to people within a hundred miles because people will camp. They're just going to camp closer by. But parks seem to figure out what is closer by to them. If they've got a lot of competition, right, that's, it might be a smaller or a larger circle, depending on who their competition is. But I think everybody can still play in this market because everybody I talk to across the board still wants to camp. They have returned to camping or discovered camping over the last three years, and not one person that I've talked to has said they want to give it up. So it's up to us, but we don't it was nice. For sure. And I don't think anybody here is debating the want of people to camp. The question is, is in 2023, will they be able to at the same clip that they were? And nobody knows yet. Yeah. So the other thing too, interestingly, is that so many people have, they're no longer working in an office. They're working from the road. And so their cost of living has actually decreased in a lot of ways. And they, because they've given up their homes, they're living on the road. They are staying in campgrounds. So maybe they're staying for a month to get the monthly rate, but they are still staying. And there's a significant number of people that their jobs, their salaries are going up. Anything in technology is going up. And there are a lot of the people that are camping. So for them, they're not experiencing some of the same things with the recession that a lot of people are. And there are large, there are a huge amount of the demographic that we want to get to come to our parks. Thoughts, gentlemen? I think that Sandy, of course, brings up some relevant points as always. I think piece that's almost probably exhausting to keep talking about, but is the technology piece and not just online bookings, which is totally, of course, that's important. But I see in here, Brian, that Scott Westbrook commented about parks cannot afford to be te technically behind. And that's so true. Speaking to what Sandy has said about folks that are working full-time from the road or have the ability to travel more often, even though they're working full-time, they're expecting that technology to be in place. Really great Wi-Fi, of course. I know we don't want to talk about how important Wi-Fi is for a park. <laughs> What's important? What is, is Wi-Fi? It's the yeah. utility, Scott? It's, it's crazy. Sorry. But to think that my, my point is that what we're seeing from a management side, we're working from 
really large investment groups to mom and pops. And they all see the need for tech. They all see the need to invest. It's, I think, still some of the right tech seems expensive, but it's all about how you look at the value proposition and the return on what you're spending your money on, how important it really is. So I would really, as you think about driving in experiences, you think about how to improve yourself and set yourself up for a great 2023, really be thinking about, is that really expensive Wi-Fi option? Is it really expensive or is it going to cost me more to not have? Same with things like the way.co that I mentioned. Think about what the alternative is don't have it, knowing that there are more and more people coming into the space that see it and, and know it already, that they need to invest in those things they're willing to do. And you're not wrong. And this is all like a calculation that you need to make, right? For your own park, for your own services, for way.co, for whatever service you're using, whatever amenity you're providing, whatever. You have to figure out what the ROI is on that and then be able to track it. And so I've done the same thing. We've had client calls with people who are saying, I pay you, let's be honest, and transparent, right? I pay insider perks in my case. X amount of dollars for a website, how do I know that you're getting that value or you're giving me that value? And the answer is by tracking it through reservation systems like CantSpot and others, right? We can actually show you what the average user to your website is worth with the total transaction volume that we're tracking through your reservation system. And then I remember talking to a client last week, specifically who's questioning these things. And we say, well, we can run your numbers in the last month, your website's brought you $22,000 in. So comparatively speaking, when you're paying your website provider or whatever service you're doing, your online booking platform or whatever, as long as you know that number, then that becomes quite easier to swallow things like way.co or an upgraded Wi-Fi system or whatever that may be. By having that, by doing those studies, by having that data, by tracking all that stuff. That's a really good point, Brian, because I think marketing is, thank, thankfully we don't, we, we have a couple of clients that I've had to remind why marketing is important, but for the most part, they, they all understand Marketing is the exact same way to look at that, right? I don't want to speak for you and Mark and others that, that focus just on that, but you have to be able to return what you're spending your money on and marketing's right there. And when you look at the data and how marketing and can drive that additional demand and awareness, it makes it easier to spend more, but it's just, I think my point is reframing how you're looking at what expenses are. And I know that's difficult to do as you're heading into a recession. You have more of a, more scrutiny towards, towards spending. But as long as you really understand, Brian, to your point, what that ROI is and can really see it firsthand, go all in because it's, it will lead to more sustained results for you. I think the goal in is an interesting thing because it's a, I think that's where the fear is, right? The fear comes in where it's, I know I need to do something, how much of it and how much do I commit to it? We deal with that a lot as parks are starting transition, like Sandy said, there's still a lot of parks that are taking online reservations and the fear of that, right? Still to today, you'll have at least one conversation a week where it's like, we want to talk to every person to vet them out. And, I, and the question back is always, how many people do you turn down based on their voice? Like how many people are you, you get a like, bad vibe for over the phone and you actually say, you know what, based on how you just talk, you're, I'm not going to allow you to book here. And it's usually pretty small, right? But so we always still say is, of course, we'd love for parks to jump in all in and embrace every single one of the features. And we, with like our analytics tool, we are literally trying to pump it in front of them to see every single tool that they can use. And it's green if they're using it and it's the glaring red if they're not. Just to say every day, I just want to show you the things that you're not using and the things that you are, how are they working for you? What is the tangible? What is the income from those things? But on the flip side of that, you still can start small. You don't have to list every single site online. You don't have to go completely online check-in. You don't have to automate everything, but 
to, to Sandy's point, embracing some of the technology in some capacity and in some way is very relevant. And then typically once you do, then it's okay, that fear is gone. My guard is down on that aspect. I see the upside of it. Now then it's like eyes, eyes get open and then you want to dive all in. Yeah. And the other thing I like is I always like using other people's money. And mm -hmm. we're finally getting to the point where we have multiple OTAs out there. Some are better than the other, but most are, their business model is making money off the guests making a reservation, right? So the, being able to put your inventory on their OTA is free to the par. So why not, right? Oh, just be on one, be on all of them, right? Now, mostly what I tell people is look for somebody where you can get an integration so it's not creating more work for you. But there are multiple out there now that are doing that. And so then they're marketing their site. But then not only do you get your full site rent, but you're, they're also paying the tax in most cases. So now you're not even paying the uh, tax, the uh, credit card fees. So you're actually ahead by 3% just by getting somebody to book on an OTA. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about this at the Arvik panel. I get the joys of speaking through that. And it's again, it's a business model thing for us, right? At CampSpot, obviously, we have a large marketplace. We saw a huge opportunity for this gap of people wanting to camp and making it easy to find real-time availability, real-time pricing, and be able to book it, right? Not just being a listing site, but actually be able to book it. What we found was critically important with an OTA was the ability to embrace the like the, the campground, right? The, the rules, the dynamic rates, the add-ons, choosing their location, their minimums, their maximums, the widths, the links. Those things to us were what was missing in a standard OTA of a room or a aisle seat or a, a window seat, right? There's more to a campground than just being a site. And so the ability to embrace all of that, right? If your rates are dynamically changing, it should embrace that. If you want to choose a location by the pool, you should be able to do that. If you want to be guaranteed that location, you should be able to do that. If you want to run a golf cart, you should be able to do that. And from our standpoint, and just speaking to Sandy's point, we're the exact opposite, right? We charge the campground a 10% booking fee in order to book on our marketplace. And so you'd say, all these other ones are free. Why would we go on that one? And again, it's a good conversation. Our business model, our mindset with this has always been, if a camper is going to be paying an extra 15 or 20% book a site, we didn't know how long that would last. How many reservations would they actually continue to pay 15 to 20% more? Our mindset was, what is the standard marketing cost to acquire a new customer? We looked at a lot of data as far as what is that average cost? And Brian and Mark will have a very clear number what they think that is. And we also did a lot of research on the idea that 10% seemed to be a very common discount that was given to a lot of people for various reasons, whether it was a senior discount or whether it was a military discount or whether it was a certain membership program. And then you're giving that discount every single time. They, that guest got that 10% off every single time, as opposed to doing a 10% fee for bringing that new guest to that park. And then that park, obviously having them book directly again. But it is, it's like, it's an interesting concept because again, I'm not saying we have it nailed, right? I'm just saying we have it hundred percent. It's still something that we discuss weekly. Should we put some of this fee back onto the guest? Is price parity important? Is the guest going to return to a marketing site where they know they're paying more than if they book direct? We know they're good questions, right? Like for us, what was important to start, obviously price is always important and very relevant, right? But for us, what was really important was how do we embrace the campground, right? And everything that comes with that campground, as opposed to just availability and a standard rate from scraping a site and then remarketing a site that's great, but it doesn't follow their terms and conditions. It, 
doesn't make them sign off on the specific rules of their park. Those things to us were always relevant. And that's why we built at least the one that we have the way we did. Yeah, I know what you're talking about with scraping sites, and I hate that. It's got to be a real OTA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going to throw any names here and make any accusations. No way. But I just sing in my song, Casey, I'll be there for you to ask you the hard questions at the conference. Yeah, now, yeah. But the one thing I want to say as an RVer, not as somebody who works in the industry, I will pay 10% all day long to go to one place and book my site. So tired of spending hours trying to book campsites. And so are a lot of the other people that I talk to that are people in my de demographic that have the ability to continue camping, but we're just sick and tired of trying to find a campground going 52 different places to do it. So I'm in, I'll give you the 10% if you make it easy for me. Just to clarify, you're in the under 35 demographic, right? Exactly. <laughs> we're just trying to have clarity for everybody involved here. Okay. Exactly. I, mean, I have well, that's a lot of data to unpack, and I think that's a lot of good questions and points you bring up, Casey. And I think also, I have tons of questions based on it, but we've only got 15 minutes left. So I'll just heckle you at the conference, too. If you have any really super hard questions you want to test Casey's knowledge on, just email me, and I'll be happy to ask them for you. That's a new segment of the show, Stump Casey. All right. What else are we going to talk about, gentlemen, ladies? There's a lot of things we could talk about, but rolling back up to 35,000 feet for just a minute here, the kind of some of the themes we've been talking about today, Scott is, Scott is seeing a little bit of a drop in occupancy, but ADR is holding or it's up. And I think like Casey hit on that as well. So that's a really important thing. Again, people are traveling and they are spending and they're willing to spend for an experience. So if the ADR is up and the NOI is up and a slightly down occupied market. What happens if the trends tick up by another couple points next year and you're still holding ADR or growing ADR? What does that do to NOI? It gets pretty spectacular because, and where I'm getting at with this is the more you have experiential components as part of your whole package, you've got the cover charge, which is it costs this much for my site, but the ancillary adders, the canoe rental, the food, the spa, whatever it might be that adds onto that. But what's called non-room revenue in the hotel world, the hotel world expects that non-room revenue is going to be 30% above their ADR, right? So the additional package services on top of just the room is an additional 30 some percent. So bake that into the thinking along with providing more experiential services and those 2% occupancy dips that are down right now, if that goes 2% to the other side with not only your higher ADR, but the other ancillary from doing a better experience. The numbers get very compelling, very quick. And I, I would second that. We're, that's what we're still really bullish about next year, despite the economic uncertainties. If so, for the majority of our properties, and we're finishing up budgets right now, we're knee deep in it, and we're forecasting most properties to increase occupancy by a few percentage points. We're not looking at 10% or 15% occupancy increases, but even if we could, grow occupancy by 5% over what we had this year and grow our ADRs by another three to 5% because a lot of our ADRs have increased by anywhere from 15 to 30% over last year. We got really aggressive and we would like to hold that, sustain that. But if we could just push occupancy a little bit, we're going to see a much bigger pop. And we also learned a lot through going back to the technology discussion and how we were able to get much more efficient this year so that we can try to reduce our operating expenses percentage of revenue as much as we can to 
push all that to NOI. But, um, and Randy, you might can throw answer this too, but for brand new parks that are just opening in 2023, how are you forecasting for those? Oh, I could talk. Um, Scott, take that one. I got a lot yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. We So we have a handful, maybe half a dozen properties that we're working with that are opening up in 2023 and uh, or 2024. And... Before the pandemic, we would see stabilization of a new property that would usually land around year three. And through pa through the pandemic, some properties stabilized in six months, some stabilized sooner than that. So right now we're moving back towards that two to three year mark for stabilization. We think that it's certainly more expedited than pre-pandemic, but not like it was necessarily a year ago, at least that we're seeing. I would just add to that, Sandy, that <clears throat> to Scott's point, I think that's exactly right. There were some statistical outliers that happened in 20 and 21, both to the good and to the bad, that aren't indicative of a typical flow in a typical normalized environment. So to Scott's point, my experience has been exactly the same. It's year three to stabilization. It's always year three. Year one, you try your stuff. Year two, you make adjustments. Year three, you create the benefits of year one and year two. So by three, you start to get a little bit more stabilized. And because in the investment environment, you always want to stick with fundamentals. It's not a good idea to try to shorten that three-year period. I'm pretty sure Scott would probably agree with that because you said false expectations. My former company, we did about 120 feasibility studies. And we're always very conservative year one, especially year one. And what really makes me frightened is, frankly, when I see some other feasibility work that says, as soon as we throw the doors open, we're going to be annualized 80% occupancy year one. It will never happen. Not in this. How many calls I get from people who are panicking because they're, yeah, help me market because I'm six months in and nobody's here. It won't happen. You will not be 80% annualized year one. <laughs> and really, and what's scary to me, and it's not ill intention. I, just two days ago, had a conversation with a client, paid for a five-year pro forma that we did, and it was bank requested. They're looking to develop a new property when the bank wanted an independent source. I broke their hearts. They thought that they would be 60% stabilized in the first six months with 250 sites, and it just wasn't, it wasn't feasible. And so to your point, and I guess my point, they asked them why they thought they would be able to do that. And they got state association data that said on average, our state association says parks are 60% occupied. Well, that's a broad average, right? There's outdoor hospitality. There's six or eight different types of properties in outdoor hospitality. So you can't just broadly take that assumption. And especially when you're a property like these guys are that are more transient focused than extended. So really understanding where that data is coming from, what the data source really is what the data is coming from is really important. I would like to just share too briefly and then I'll be done. As you're looking at trying to understand what market occupancies are, there's a few tools out there that we've identified that I think is really helpful. Check out those short-term rental sites that, that will give you some occupancy information. The short-term analytics sites like AirDNA, Price Labs as well. They will, while it's specific to short-term rentals, Airbnb and Verbo, for example, and not RV, it still helps you to see the seasonality of the market overall. So look at that as a guiding source for you. In this example that I said, their annualized occupancy will stabilize around 45% at year three, certainly not 60% at year one. And, and the result is millions of dollars of NOI difference in just a few years.
Absolutely. But it's taking all that data from different sources, like you mentioned, right? And then putting it all side by side. So pulling your marketing data into one place, pulling your short-term rental data in one place, pulling your accounting data all in one place, which is, by the way, easier with our sponsor of the show, Fireside Accounting. Okay. Just threw right in there right now. But well, just it's comparing that stuff side by side, right? And knowing all of those things together. And then instead of taking one piece and making a decision, you're taking all the pieces and making an educated decision based on all the data that you have. It's, again not picking on state associations and saying that they misled or had wrong data because they didn't. They gave the data that they had available, but that data isn't applicable to that specific park. So you need data that's applicable to you, supplemented by data that's not applicable versus the other way. Irrelevant, depending on what type of park you have, like we have some parks where 75% of their guests are new guests every year. Like it's a complete turnover. And you have the exact opposite where parks are relying on the same guests every single year. And logic would say, if you're going to rely on repeat guests, it's going to take some a while to get those repeat guests, right? It's going to take some time to give someone a good experience so they can come back. And I think three years is pretty, pretty reasonable for that because at some point you are expecting some level of, of return really? customer, but you got to get them first. There, there's something else that's really key about this also, and this is not meant to be an infomercial, but. Data itself is cold and it is just a number. If somebody showed me that Kansas City is a 60% annualized occupancy market, I would look at that differently than Scott would look at it, who would look at it differently than Casey, who would look at it differently than Kara, because we've been in the trenches and we know what that means. Is that daily, weekly, monthly? What is the seasonality of that? So data in and of itself has no value without application. Applying story. It's Applying the data in a responsible way is where you need somebody on your team who's been in the trenches, done this for a while, can tell you not only here's the data, but here's what the data means and here's how it applies to your specific plan, right? Because data can be very helpful. It can also really hurt you if you rely solely on data. Like in Scott's example, 60% market, they didn't hire somebody that could tell them what the data actually meant for their particular property. So it's, and just briefly, I'll just close with this. It, when you talk about new parks, Sandy, and then how to forecast that thing, I would submit as I have for a long time to understand the difference between an expense and an investment. If you invest in a consulting company, invest in the software, invest in a management company, invest in those people as part of your team, invest in your accounting, please, for the love of God, first and foremost, invest in your accounting. If you invest in that team, you're going to get a predictable return from that investment. If you view those as expenses and try to cheapen the process, you're going to cost yourself potentially millions of dollars because you didn't retain the best people as part of your team. That is an investment, pure and simple, with a return. And I think it's understanding who those valuable people on your team should be because there's still a lot of commercial developers trying to get into the RV industry. And just because you can build a hotel that's successful, I don't believe it means that you can build an RV park that's successful. And what I thought is funny is I'm talking to people that have built one part during COVID. They saw these astronomical numbers. Now they finished the second park and opened it and it didn't open to 80% occupancy and they're not seeing the same result and they don't know why. And they've talked to their buddy who he had two parks open during COVID and it's doing great. So why is it theirs? And I thought this would be with the number of parks that are people that watch this podcast, I thought it was really important 
that we give people a reality check of where we are and that it's not impossible. We all are still going to be successful. But those two years were those two years. And in many ways, I hope we never repeat it. Yeah. And then really a cautionary tale for anybody in any economic cycle. If you're thinking about building something, invest in your team and invest in your team early and assemble right. them early at the outset, not down mm -hmm. the road, have them included right. in the very beginning process of it. That's the way to ensure success. Yeah. And even identifying them and then ramping up the services later, right? We talked to so many new people who are getting into this, developing properties, acquiring properties who are saying, we need marketing. We want to come on board with you, but we're not quite ready for everything. So let's start step one, step two, step three, and over six months, then we'll bring you fully on board. And that's the, but you've identified who you want to be your partner, whether it's accounting or marketing or management or selling your park or evaluating or whatever, reservation systems or associations or whoever else we have on this call that I'm trying to shout out to vaguely. Um, you know, it, it's, and then you have a path forward and a step and a process in place to know that you're covered no matter what happens, because you've got that guy, you can pull that in your back pocket and use however many steps or services that you want. And don't forget an experiential consultant. Very important. That's just setting yourself apart. Stop using buzzwords, Randy. Just setting yourself, just change the name of your group to set yourself apart. No, say, Randy, you keep going. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Sandy. Yeah. I ain't going to stop. There ain't no way. <laughs> hey, Casey, let me know if you need to send me any back channel questions. The really hard ones you want me to ask, ask you next. Yeah, I'll send you some doozies. I, I'll respond to you. It's a, yeah, or you let me know what curveballs you're going to throw my way so I can sit on it and knock it out of the park. I'll send yeah. Hey, I look forward to seeing you guys that are going to be at Arvick next week. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. I'll be at Arvick. Casey will be there. I don't think Scott and Randy are going this year. Too busy changing the world. Some of us, Casey's speaking, doing things important. I'm sure Sandy is too, but I'm just roaming the halls taking up space, but super excited to have you guys all here again. I really appreciate it. I think it was a great conversation. Anybody have any closing thoughts before we wrap up the show? Yeah, I just mentioned like show if your listeners have not one of those, you've got really Harvard in the campground owners expo, but it is in person events. They're rocking. So you were breaking up just a little bit, Mark, but we understand you're on the road, probably sandwich. It's probably like the Wi-Fi signal, Scott. He's probably between all those RVs that he saw. They were on the show and they're all metal boxes and that's what's interfering with his show. But I think he did say all the great shows. We did talk about Arvik. KOA got one coming up the week after that I will also be at. Mark just came back from the Coney show. Obviously, we talked about the glamping show earlier. Campground Owners Expo has a show beginning of December in Branson, Missouri. And what? Jellystone. Jellystone. Yes. I always forget about Jellystone because it overlaps with Arvik. I really want to go, but I can't. But yeah, all, lots of great shows, lots of great educational opportunities, lots of great places to get data from both associations, from franchise organizations, from vendors and suppliers, from fellow network and operators and, and owners and things like that. So I'm just really looking forward to the, yeah, the next month to having all those awesome conversations and continuing all of our journey. So thank you guys. I really appreciate you joining us. I think it was a great discussion. We'll see you next week. Maybe for our glamp our glamping focus show, but I don't know how we're going to handle that. We'll be live from Arbic. I will point. be there. Kara, she'll be. I will be there. <laughs> but you'll be making sure the show actually runs smoothly in case a disaster happens, which always happens with me. So, thank you guys. I appreciate it. We will see you next week. Take care. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? An episode?
Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com. 